reason for the season. This is his birthday and we are to remember that and to celebrate his birthday. And like any birthday, like any birth, there are special arrangements to be made, there are announcements to be given and there is certainly an acknowledgement of the birth. So those are the three points I want to talk about. Firstly, the arrangements. Who was involved in the arrangements for the birth of the Lord Jesus? Whenever a child is expected in a family, it's always great news. Sometimes it's a shock and sometimes it's a surprise, uh, but babies are always delightful. When a child is expected, there are things to buy and there are things to do. What do you have to buy when you're going to have a baby? If you've been there, many of you have been there and have been through this process. You've got to buy nappies, you've got to buy bottles, you've got to buy bibs, you've got to buy bouncinets. These days you've got to buy uh, car seats and you've got to buy special capsules and you've got to buy clothes and all sorts of things you've got to buy. What have you got to do? Well, you have to prepare the room. You have to book the hospital. You have to make an appointment to see the doctor. There's lots of things to do when we have a baby. So with the arrangements for the birth of the Lord Jesus coming into the world, there are many people involved, some without even knowing it, that God was at work in our world achieving his purposes and he was working firstly through the emperor. There are six points to note very quickly under this. Augustus Caesar was the emperor. He's a thousand miles, 1,100 kilometres, 1,100 kilometres away He's a good emperor, he's an organiser, he's the guy who was responsible for bringing peace to the Roman world and through bringing peace to the Roman world it was very expensive and costly and he came up with this smart strategy that every 14 years there would be a census and we read Luke 2 about the very first time that that happened, the first census. Every 14 years there was a census primarily to keep track of every male child that was born in the Roman Empire because a male child would be conscripted into the army. And every 14 years, there was this extra tax. So that's what he needed to keep the peace, soldiers and money. And this was his means of gathering it. So here is the Roman emperor issuing a decree about a census to be had. And we have historical records of some of these censuses that went for the next several hundred years, every 14 years. We don't have this census because those records have sadly been lost. But this is exactly what God said would happen. 700 years before that, God said through a prophet that the child, the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem. And now here, closer to the mark, is a Roman emperor giving a decree which is going to send Joseph and Mary from Nazareth all the way down to Bethlehem, and he's totally unaware of it. But God was working behind the scenes and through the circumstances of life. So the emperor is partly responsible for the Saviour's birth. Bearing in mind also, this decree would have been given before Mary was pregnant. Secondly, the governor. The <clears throat> Roman Empire was divided up into all different provinces and sections and while Herod was the king of the Jews in Judea, his boss, the one he reported to, was a governor called Quirinius. He was the governor on the eastern end of the empire. We have this on record that Quirinius actually called for, he wanted the name, the name of the person being taxed or being in the census, the name, the relatives, their address or their property that they owned and then their occupation. These four facts about each individual which would have meant that the Lord Jesus's name, his, his father's name, I guess that was, jo what would Joseph have said? I guess he would have written down that you know he was my son that is adopted or something, I'm not sure what he would have said. But it does indicate 
that Jesus' name would have recorded in space-time history. That this is not just a fairy story, it's not just a story. It's real. This really happened. Space-time history. The governor was partly responsible. But the governor only issued the decree, only influenced it, that they, only the heads, the male heads of families had to go. The women and children didn't have to make the trip. And so he's not fully responsible. Somebody else is also responsible. And thirdly, it's the carpenter. It's Joseph. He decided to take Mary for whatever reason. That 130 or so kilometre trip that would have taken four or five days. <clears throat> and I guess maybe on the way they were having a conversation about rejoicing and being glad that something exciting was happening and they were doing God's will. It's what God wanted. Not that they fully understood, but they understood something. So the emperor, the governor, the carpenter, all involved in the arrangements. And then, fourthly, this guy gets a lot of bad press, but the innkeeper in verse 7. I feel sorry for the innkeeper. Uh, he's in many sermons and he gets preached down that he's one of those people who rejected Jesus. Um, it doesn't say that. It just says that when they got to Bethlehem, the place is full and there is no more accommodation available anywhere. And we're not told anything. Some preachers, commentators, try to take it easy on him and they even suggest, um, maybe he suggested to them that they could stay in the cave or in the barn or out the back. or We don't know any of that. But we do know that the innkeeper had some role because it was he had to say no. I mean, he was running a business, probably. And everybody has arrived. They've unpacked. They've settled in. How would you like to go to a motel? And then suddenly there's a knock at the door. And could you vacate your $150 room for the night, please, because there is a lady here who's going to have a baby? Would you like that? Uh, the answer is no. <laughs> so the innkeeper had some role or responsibility in it. And then, obviously, Mary, the mother, is responsible for the arrangements of the birth of the Lord Jesus. In fact, the Bible tells us that Mary gave not only birth to the Lord Jesus, but that she wrapped him in these swaddling cloths, which is like a square piece of material with a tail coming off it on the end. She would have wrapped him up in that and then round that round him, keep him nice and snug and tight. She did it. Normally a midwife would do it or a relative would do it, but there's no mention of midwives or relatives in this case. And the situation is that all the male heads of families have all descended and gone to their hometowns. So probably Bethlehem is filled with useless males who don't know anything about babies and what to do. And so it would appear that Mary did it by herself. She placed the Lord Jesus all wrapped up in the manger. Perhaps Joseph had you know, prepared the manger and cleaned it up and fixed it up or something. He was a carpenter. Maybe he had that wrong. But behind all of this, number six, is, the Lord, is our Heavenly Father, God himself. He is the one responsible for working through history and through people, through emperors and governors and through just normal, ordinary people to achieve his purposes. The Bible says in the book of Galatians, when the time had rightly come, fully come, at just the right time, God sent forth his son to be born of a woman, to be born under the law. Why? To redeem those who were under the law and so that we could receive the adoption as his children. Just the right time, God sent forth his son. God selected Mary to be the mother. He wanted her DNA to compose the body of the Lord Jesus. She is a special, remarkable individual. Through all of this, the arrangements of his birth, the point to note is that God is the one working his purposes out. I don't know what's going on in your life, and certainly 
There are some things happening in our world. God is not caught by surprise. God knows what's going on. He allows these bad things to happen out there. And somehow through it all, giving us the freedom to make choices, and sometimes that means freedom to make bad choices, and we wear the consequences of that. But somehow through it all, mysteriously, our Heavenly Father works his purposes and will achieve his ends. He says, as I have planned, so it will be. As I have purposed, so it will happen. He is watching over his word to see it accomplished. 700 years beforehand, he said, my son will be born in Bethlehem. Through the course of history, through the choices of people, so it happens. God's watching over your life, working your purposes out. And God doesn't want you living life without him. That's why he sent Jesus. When a baby is coming, there are arrangements to be made. When the baby has come, there are announcements to be made. Secondly, when a child is born, we want people to know. When in our world, we text, we phone, we email, we tell people, we announce it, we put signs in windows, we send cards, we do all sorts of things. And so God too, when his son is born, wants it announced. Firstly, he puts a star in the sky. Our Heavenly Father announces the arrival of his son that got the attention, not of everybody, but certainly got the attention of some magi, some wise men in the east. Secondly, he sent an angel. He sent an angel with a very special message to some shepherds. The angel said, I bring you good news of great joy that is for all people. Good news, great joy for all people. Today in the city of David, a saviour is born. Um, And he is Christ the Lord. Then the angel says to them, if you go, you'll find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. The truth of the angel's message is that we won't know it's good news. It won't give us great joy unless we use those two titles of the Lord Jesus, that he is Saviour and Lord, that I receive him as my Saviour. My greatest need is forgiveness. That's why God sent him. My greatest need is reconciliation with God. That's why God sent him, the Prince of Peace, Saviour and Lord. I surrender, I submit to him and to his rulership in my life. When we do that, then the promise of the angel becomes our experience. Good news, great joy, because Christ is born and lives in us. And then accompanying the angel, God dispatched also the choir of heaven. And they came singing that magnificent song about glory to God in the highest, peace on earth to those with whom he is pleased. Thirdly, from the highest, the star and the angel and the angels, to almost the lowest. We don't quite have this perception of the shepherds, but in their society, they were bottom rung. Worst case scenario, they were rogues and criminals. Some of them were. Not these particular shepherds, I can't talk about them specifically, but generally, they had a bad reputation. They were not allowed to testify in court, for they were renowned liars. They... um, often slept out in the open, often took this job because it was the only job they could get because they were homeless. They were with home or house and often without family. And God uses them to proclaim the message from the highest to the lowest. It's almost like God wants everybody to know and he can use anybody and anything to achieve his purposes. And sure enough, they do that. They hear the angel and they respond to it. They take the journey into Jerusalem. They see the child 
And then on the way home, they are spreading the news. They return to their work, their duties, and the Bible says that they were praising and glorifying God, telling people the truth of what the angel had said to them. So God used the emperor, the governor, carpenter, an innkeeper, the mother, Mary, to arrange the arrival of the Lord Jesus. God used the star, the angels and the shepherds to announce his birth. God also inspired uh, the writing of the Gospels, Matthew and Luke, so that we could read about this. And then God has done his part, now it's up to us. We have a role to play as well. God wants us each year, as his people, as his followers, to be telling this story. And in our society, it is a privilege. It's not in every society. I don't know if you saw the news this week, but Sierra Leone, you know where the Ebola crisis is? That all public celebrations of Christmas have been cancelled simply because of the disease and they don't want it spread. That's a sensible decision. That's followed in the United States. I saw on the news yesterday where a, a school in Montgomery, Washington State, in Washington, has um, now banned the use of all religious holidays. There's a rationale and a reason behind it, but what it means is no Good Friday, no Christmas Day, none of that will be on the school calendar. So if you attend that school, school will be on Good Friday, school will be on Christmas Day. And if you don't go, if you choose not to go for religious purposes, then you'll miss out on school for that day. I know that for you guys, some good thing, but for others it's not. I can see a day coming when Christmas will no longer be a public holiday. I don't know if it'll be in my lifetime, but that time is coming. Until then, every year, we tell this story. In Sunday schools, through our RE teachers in schools, in department stores they have, it's on TV, it's on radio. We do a carol service, it's in newspapers, we send cards, it's in books, in magazines, it's everywhere. <clears throat> and that's a blessing. And that's exactly what God wants. He wants everybody to know and to know the truth. Not about the guy in a red suit who's fat and needs health something, <clears throat> but about Jesus. Jesus is the reason for the season. And so we come to the last point, and this is the most important point for you this morning. It's the acknowledgement of his birth. When a baby is born, there are arrangements, there are announcements, but there has to be an acknowledgement. Now, depending on the closeness of your relationship with the parents, it will indicate, likewise, your appropriate response. But often there is a gift or a card or a hug or the holding of the baby, depending, as I said, on the closeness of your relationship. So, in this passage, there are various responses to the arrival, the birth of the Lord Jesus. People who heard the shepherds were amazed. And it is amazing. And there are many people like that in Australia today. They're amazed at the story. But for them, it's, they're amazed once a year and it's still a story. It's just a story. It hasn't permeated. Uh, being amazed is certainly a better response than what Herod gave, which was hostility or the indifference of some of the religious scribes and Pharisees that we spoke about last week. And it's certainly much better than the people who are the bar humbug people. <clears throat> Amazing. A better response is like Mary. She pondered and treasured these things in her heart. She thought about it. She considered it. She wondered about the impact on her on us 
the above us God of the Old Testament has become the with us God in Jesus who can become the in us God by his Holy Spirit. Here is the truth. God is not mad at you. Christmas is shouting at you that God is mad about you. That God cares about you. That's why he sent his son. Because we need forgiveness. We need reconciliation. We need peace with him. And he is most keen for that relationship to be re-established. Then there is the response of the shepherds, of course, returning and glorifying and praising God. Well, what's your response? How can you celebrate Christmas? Here are four very quick suggestions and I'll close with this. Number one, like the people who heard the shepherds, you can be amazed. You can simply ponder these truths and I would encourage you to do that. Allow it to stretch your mind. Imagine the implications and maybe even to come to the point of acceptance. That this is true historically and if this is true, that God has come into our world in the person of his son and that everything else is true, that he lived, that he died, that he rose, that I can be forgiven, then we ought to be amazed at that and accept it, embrace it. Number two, you can treasure these things, repeat them, tell others about them, accept this redemption and this reconciliation that is available to us through the person of Jesus. For those of you who have already done that, and many of you this morning have, Uh, then like the shepherds glorify and praise God like we've been doing this morning but not just this morning report and tell these truths to others just like they did as well and then fourthly and finally if Jesus is the reason for the season if this is his birthday then while it's terrific and enjoyable and I encourage it and participate in it to give gifts to others and to receive gifts from others if it's his birthday What gift do we give him? Imagine you had a birthday party where Jesus is the person of honour. It's his birthday. And we all bring gifts. But we don't give the gifts to him. We give them to all of the other people who are attending the party. That's what Christmas could be like. We give nothing to him. It's his birthday. But we give gifts to all of the other people who are attending and enjoying his birthday. So my question to you is, what gift will you give Jesus this year? What do you give someone who has everything? There's only one answer. Give your heart. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, you work through emperors and governors and ordinary people to bring your son into the world. You announced his arrival through a star and through angels, through shepherds, and you go on announcing it through your word and your people. You clearly want all people to know that the Saviour has come. Help us, each of us, to ponder and to research, to even come to the point of embracing Jesus, accepting him, and to be changed by him. I ask, Heavenly Father, that the Lord Jesus might find a ready welcome in new hearts this Christmas and to be at home in ours. It's great news, Lord, that you're not mad at us, that you're mad about us. So we, 
like the shepherds this morning, want to glorify and praise you for Jesus, the one who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God forever. Amen.